Yes, people, welcome back. Another episode for you. 94, we are approaching 100. What will happen after that? You'll start taking me seriously. Who knows? Tasha Eleanor Stevens Vallecio is a mixed race Nicaraguan and English woman whose parents met during the Sandinista Revolution. We talk about this. We dive into her journey, her background, her upbringing, how she has always had an interconnective experience in this life, seeing everything and the depth within it. During her early 20s, she learned her skills for foraging, farming and wild tending whilst living at the Tinker's Bubble, which we talk about, which is an eco-community in Somerset. In her 20s, she helped set up the Regionalization of Land Workers Alliance and started her own micro farm, farm shop and cooperative festival cafe, which she then met Seth, who's one of the founders of 42 Acres, which I've had the pleasure to be working with this summer. And yeah, forging a nice little relationship with uh, people at the Regenerative, which I always can't pronounce, Regenerative, Regenerative, Regenerative. Regenerative Farm and Retreat Centre in Froome, just outside of Froome. So I met Tasha through this connection and she now leads the food production at 42 Acres and supports the vision holding across the 173 acre site. Not 42 Acres, used to be. It's now 173 acre site, stewarding their intention to live in harmony with the nature, self and other. We really dive into all of this. And it's a phenomenal podcast. I know you're going to get a lot of value from it. I would appreciate your comments, support, likes, shares, or however that may look for you. Even if it's just getting in touch with us, some questions, maybe there's some things you disagree on. However you want to interact with this podcast, it is all welcome. The best way to do that is over on YouTube. If you click the link in the description, it will send you there and you can ask me or Tasha any questions and we will always endeavor to get back to you. Now in this podcast we talk about integrity, patience, care and consideration of the land, why it's important to listen to the land because it is always communicating. We dive into topics around 42, how they're connecting to community to farm and educate people and renegotiate the models and the systems and structures that we are firmly embedded in to bring in a more harmonious state with ourselves and other and other really can be a representation of everything. What does it mean to be a leader in this capacity? What does it mean to lead in your own life? And we also dive into what it means to be a healthy, happy human and why that, me and Tasha believe, is really fundamental to our education as humans and why it doesn't seem to be the primary focus. We talk about the obstacles and challenges of spreadsheets, meetings, and how all this translates into a business sense, which I think is one of the hardest aspects of looking at old ways of being, which really served us, and coming at them from a modern day perspective, and what is so crucial and important in the modern day. If we're talking about harmony, then we have to integrate all of it. I know you're going to get a lot from this podcast I appreciate you. I appreciate myself. The time I spend on producing this, it does take some time. If you feel called to support, there's many ways you can get involved. All the links are in the description. One primary way is to support me over at Patreon. I now have two amazing Patreon subscribers. We are developing a little community. We're checking in and we are also going to be opening up calls to discuss these topics in a bit more depth once a month so if you want to get involved you can donate from as little as six pound a month six nine and eighteen are the different tiers and they all offer different ways in which you can be involved i have just returned from my 
Men's Weekend under the Men of Earth. This is the third rendition of a portal that's opened and closed over a long weekend. It was phenomenal. We really dived into the depths of our psyches and returned to ways in which once served us. And one of the most powerful things we did was sleep around the fire at night and took it in shifts to stoke the fire, to guard and keep the fire going. It was an amazing, held, supportive experience for the men. Loads of stuff was uncovered. It was a very emotional event, but super supportive. So much compassion in this dynamic, in these intimate transformational experiences. Dates will be up soon around 2024. I'll be hosting four events, one actually at 42 Acres in the Woodland. So if you want to find out how to get involved, you can join the waitlist. Head over to the menoferth.co.uk website. Link in the description. What else have I got to tell you about? I'm launching a men's community. 1st of October. This is an offering for men who want to join a supportive network of people who are diving into the inner and outer work, connection and community being two incredible pillars of this community. So if you want to find out more about that, how to join, this is a sliding scale so you can pay what you feel. This is going to be all linked on the website. I'll put links in that in the description. If you want to join a supportive group of men who care about you winning as much as they do, then please follow the thread, jump on a call with me, we'll flesh it out and I'll hopefully speak to you very soon. Now to the podcast sponsors, Wild Souls and XL Coffee. XL Coffee, of course, reputable brand, organic, non-GMO and they care so much about the beans. It's a company run by my friend Alex and he has been making moves in the coffee world for the last two years now and really cares about the quality of the coffee over anything else, sometimes over profit. But he's taken the step, the brave, bold step, putting health first when it comes to coffee. All coffee is not created equal. There's a massive amount of studies on coffee and how it contributes to health. But really, as coffee isn't all created equal, there's little emphasis on the actual coffee that is studied. His coffee's lab tested nine times. It's packed full of antioxidants and polyphenols. And they've been linked to reducing inflammation, heart disease and brain and boost brain function with any psychoactive drug. How we use it, when, where, and how is super important. So consider that when you're taking time to drink a powerful substance that can really help boost your mood and brain function. He has three types of coffee, house blend, dark, and decaf, which I love. And when you see a menu with millions of options, you know they're not doing all of them to the best of their standards. But when you've got three, mainly two, because one's decaf, a dark and a house, you know the coffee is going to be bang on. Use code CGP for £10 off your first purchase on a full flexible plan. You can cancel any time. Link is in the description. Now to Wild Souls. Here are another couple of my friends. I don't think I'd get a brand to sponsor the podcast who I didn't have a deep connection with and trust and honour. These guys are providing the UK and beyond with functional footwear, which help support your body in all ways. Your feet are the foundation, they're the first things and largely only things that are connected with the floor. Why wouldn't you want to put them in natural footwear from your kids to your family? Whether it's a gift to yourself or others, go to wildsouls.com now and get some sandals made, handcrafted in Sheffield, support a local business who are making moves in the functional footwear world. I'd say these are an adventure sandal. That's how I introduce them. Because people are like, well, are they like daytime use? You kind of want like to put, as we are conditioned to, to put one shoe in a particular category. But these are for everything. 
I don't know any other things that I can put on my feet that I can wear to any occasion, whether it's running, whether I'm going to a wedding, whether I'm just going for a little hike, whether I'm just milling around at home, slash in the van, do live in a van. It's for van lifers. Good God, these are the things you need. Please go check them out. Wild Souls. Link in the description. Right. Now over to the podcast. And I do just want to mention Dan Brule has asked me to take down episode 89 of the podcast, which I have done. This I might go into on another episode. Super interesting, but not sure. But not sure on his reasoning. All I know is that he's asked me to take it down. I did try and flesh it out and try and understand, but there was no negotiation. So I'm happy to not give this man a platform and I can talk to you about that should you feel called to message me why over the podcast now with Tasha. Enjoy. How did you end up here, firstly? 42 acres, so we are where um, we're at right now. Gosh, how far back to go, right? <laughs> yeah. Birth. So, <laughs> I mean, it it feels like in some ways for a long time I felt like what am I doing here mm. what is wh- how have I popped up here because um you know I was born on a council estate in London because my parents had to flee war in Nicaragua so I'm mixed race my mother's English and my dad's Nicaraguan and they were living there is that um, where the dual name comes from yeah Stevens Valleseo yeah, yeah my mum and my father mm-hmm. and um it was during the 80s the sandinista revolution the socialist revolution in nicaragua and uh, my parents were um doing work to support the socialist movement and they wanted to have children so they'd lived out one civil war and they'd been very much part of the movement around education as a way of having political understanding and political power so they did education for the masses and my dad went out to the mountains and taught um, people to read and write and this, th- that was kind of part of the movement. And there was a lot of international support for this movement. Latin Americans are incre- incredibly socially uh, and politically active and aware. So it's, it's very interesting being a mixed race person and seeing the duality and the difference really in culture. Mm. And um, they wanted to have children so after the first um, civil war, they decided to leave because there was another one coming. And subsequently I was born, yeah, in a council estate. We were really penniless. And, um, but you know, my parents were both very intellectual. Um, And growing up, I immediately felt like, what is my soul doing here? Like, why am I in the city? I couldn't, I genuinely couldn't understand the city at all, even though that's all I ever knew. And uh, I found myself um, spending, you know, finding a lot of comfort in the hedgerows of the city. And I also lived near the Thames and I found a lot of comfort in just sitting by the itinerant boaty community. I used to just get something from that, watching those, how those people were relating to the world. And I also used to do a lot of walking in the city very young, um, a lot of kind of walking and um, in, in, in any green area that I could possibly find. 
and eventually when I was 18 I decided to travel around the world um, on my own and uh, spent a lot of time with indigenous communities uh, when I was 18 and also spent time in Latin America with in the Amazon and so I spent four months in Nicaragua where I'm from just and I think actually now when I look back my soul um I just show my soul expresses a lot of indigenous knowing mm-hmm. that I didn't consciously know about. So I, f- I, I used to walk into, so in Asia, I just walked and walked for f- several days and then walked into a tribe and was like, can I stay here? And I, there's, there was like a lack of fear of community and a lack of fear of n- the natural world. You know, I crossed rivers with my backpack on my head. You know, I just didn't, from a very young age, I just didn't have that fear. I actually felt more afraid of modern society and more afraid of pharmaceuticals and more afraid of the rat race. I, I was very, I was deeply distrusting of all of that from a very, you know, just innately. Mm, powerful <laughs> to have that fearlessness. Yeah, um, I remember my parents saying to me, you want to travel for a year. Do you realize that you're a young woman on your own wanting to like backpack for a year? You might, you know, something awful might happen to you. And I remember saying to them, I would rather die living than live dying. And how old were you? 18. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, I mean, you could call it reckless. Uh, now I look back on it, I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know, I walked around Africa, in South Africa. I hitchhiked around South Africa from a very, you know, from, I was 19 by that time because I'd been traveling for so long. Mm. And uh, went and spent time with the Hoza tribe, um, the uh, Zulus. Uh, I went to Lesotho and spent time there. And I just had the most incredible experiences time and time again of people who have materially, and I say in inverted commas, so little but actually had so much. Mm. What were you really benefiting from spending time with them? What was the main things that you were? I mean, it's it's hard to say what, you know, to distill that. And one of the things that I've, I've now started to be able to understand within myself is I'm deeply relational. So, uh, so it's the whole, the wholeness actually. It's the, when we go to work, we separate parts of ourselves from other parts. Um, it, w- it was this kind of, you're enti- you, are pu- you are experiencing yourself as nature. And so when, you, when I would walk into someone's home and they would have the medicines, you know, I remember having conjunctivitis in the Amazon and I was staying with a Quechua woman and I, could, I went blind, I couldn't see. And she literally grabbed me and shoved me in a room with a pot and was like, pee, pee, and put it on your eyes, put it on your eyes. I'm like, really? She's like, yeah, yeah, you know, we, and put it on your eyes, put it on your eyes. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm blind right now, so I'm feeling pretty vulnerable, so I'm open to trying anything. So I did it, and within two days, I was gone. I could feel it working when I put it on my eyes. I had this kind of slight kind of nice burning sensation and I could feel it kind of clearing out the infection you know as part of that trip we also gathered medicinal plants and fed her son uh, medicinal plants and he passed a tapeworm 
and we also uh, foraged clay and made pottery. So our entire existence was just working with the natural world. They offered me to go into the Amazon and and dig uh, salt, uh, but they said there was anaconda and I freaked out and couldn't go because I was like, I don't think I can do a face down with an anaconda. Yeah, so you had a good balance of fear. Yeah, I, I wasn't like <laughs> completely reckless, but yeah, so... So that was my, if for me, that was the beginning of what you would call like my genuine university or, you know, mm. and that trip um, began to wake up what I wake up or help me understand what my discomfort was. Because, I, you know, you can imagine growing up living with a level of discomfort about being in a foreign place, but mm -hmm. not being foreign. Yeah, I'd say it's awareness. It's like a deep awareness of something's not quite um feeling connected maybe yeah yeah and interestingly my parents wouldn't have left nicaragua if there wasn't war so maybe somehow you know i was more of nicaragua than i was of modern society in some way but you know i have no s very set belief system but there was definitely something askew and i don't I don't know whether there's lots of people being born in, in that kind of... Because modern society isn't deeply natural, right? So actually it might just be a level of soul calling that a lot of people ignore. But because I had roots only one generation back on the land, I was able to access it more quickly mm -hmm. than maybe some. Why, I, why do you think your mum and dad didn't have that that urge to seek different parts of the world like or return or or like look for yeah well my mum's from london and so i think they were being really pragmatic um nicaragua was the second poorest country in the world when i was growing up so you can imagine that e even though they would have been middle class in nicaragua they were penniless in england and uh, they needed the support of my grandparents to help raise us so that they could both work. My dad was very young, so my mum um, helped him go to university and study and things. So it was I think it was more of a survival. And I think that was also partly what I um, was rejecting in a way, was I don't want to survive, I want to live. Mm -hmm. And that's really what I explored. And when you returned, how did you integrate those travels or those things you access when you were there because when I when I experienced parts of the world that were living a little bit more like to connected and they had you know not access to what we'd call um yeah money really or anything like material they had access to land and mm. and their movement and food in a way that just felt more yeah connected nourishing but coming back it was almost like it, it was a, i just couldn't seem to integrate that that part of me yeah that i accessed when i was there and it was actually even i felt even more isolated when i came back and it was almost like i had to kind of let, let that part go in order to live here you know or it was just too overwhelming <laughs> yeah it was overwhelming I um I just I mean I had a few things that were really positive so 
I'd got a place in university to study craft mm-hmm. and I w- went to university in Falmouth, which is a really wild landscape. And I spent those years in many ways integrating what I'd learnt and expressing that through the work I was doing in the course. Uh, so I got really interested in colony collapse. I got really, I was fascinated by seed pods. You know, I did work to do with scarcity of water because I'd witnessed uh, scarcity of water. And so I did work, social sort of social and community work around water. And um, so I, I luckily for me, doing art, doing an arty subject meant that I was able to go inside quite in, internally and kind of explore that inner landscape. But ultimately, by the time I'd done my three years, I felt like I was going further away from what I was about, not closer towards. So I then applied for Erasmus funding and got funding to go back to the Amazon at the end of the three years to do a, to spend more time with indigenous communities, which is what I did. Mm-hmm. What's Erasmus funding? It's like a international exchange funding mm-hmm. for students specifically to go and study from another culture or and yeah, then well. bring and then kind of bring things back and do a project around it. So I so I did that. I spent more time in the in the Amazon and published a book called The Last Survivors or the First to Succeed, which was printed with oh vegetable wow. inks and hand bound. We we did the binding ourselves and and that was um basically my diaries from that time. And we spent time with all different communities from different in different stages of development. So, and development, and forgive me if you're indigenous, because I really don't like the word developed and underdeveloped or less developed than, because I just don't, Mm. I don't, I'm not a subscriber to that philosophy. And that's why I called the book, The Last Survivors or the First to Succeed. Mm. Um, Because actually indigenous people are the only people that live sustainably on this planet. So surely, um, you know, we're not succeeding as a Western yeah, well, race. even the concept of indigenous, right? We're all indigenous to some place. Even that concept and the terms used a lot. Yes. And people know what you mean when, when you refer to, you know, people that are indigenous or native to the land. But it's a contradicting one because we're all somewhat indigenous, right? Yes. To some place. <laughs> yeah, I I hear you on that. I think when i use when i generally when i use it i would use it to describe people who are born in a place where they and of a place where their lives are really deeply deeply connected with their landscape mm-hmm. and i think that part of the work of our time is and part of the, the huge piece of work that's coming up for lots of people now is to do with how do i live in better connection with nature and myself as part of nature. And I feel like our whole, um, so many parts of our Western society are really looking for more meaning. And that includes cosmological world, you know, worldviews and spirituality. And how do I honor 
myself as part of nature? How do I honor nature in, in my, in right relation to what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's the kind of what I'd say in it for me is an emerging movement. And that's beautiful because it ties together the inner world and the outer landscape, whether that's, you know, farming some of your own food and there's this, you know, big resurgence towards getting back to the land. Um, I think in years to come, there'll be more and more people wanting to live um, on land and claiming their right to be on land as people of land and of nature. And and then there's, you know, the tradition, the tradition of indigenousness and, and that being passed down and being born from many, many generations of people that have not been displaced yet. And so when I use that term, I'm kind of speaking about that kind of lineage. Mm-hmm. But I agree, we're all of, yeah. of nature. We're all yeah. of a certain place. I just love observing how words even though a tradition i was looking like the definition of that is to pass it down through generation it's not just something you do every year it's like it is that it's imbuing it into the next generation yeah how that's and it's powerful because sometimes we don't think in terms of because the world changes so quickly it's like what things are we going to keep sacred and 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 make sure we you know we honor to to then pass it down in the right way yeah and i think a lot of people of course are I mean, generally in the, in the space and the conversations I'm having, it's all about going back to that real, like, what what is fulfilling. And it's very simple and it doesn't go away, like having a bigger connection to the food and mm. the place you live. Mm. Um, because we've, we've gone off in this direction and we just mm. know that that narrative has been somewhat sold to us and it's not, it doesn't work. It's actually mm. a bit of a trap mm. to feel that externally you're going to get some sort of reward from, you know, compromising your time and mm. your energy to something that, yeah, largely is about consuming. So, yeah. So I'm conscious that I didn't answer your question. when you Well, how did you get here? <laughs> yeah. That's okay. We, we've gone down a different route and I'm happy with it. But okay. yeah, I, I mean, it's a big question. Cause how did you get here? What's almost like, where yeah. did the journey begin for you? Yeah. To start like asking those questions and following the threads that I know you have a strong connection with and pull in certain directions. Yeah. And what I get from you actually is that you, you don't rush with certain things. And I, I, I see a patience, which I respect. And you have a, a groundedness that's like, okay, let's just not jump too far to assume or to judge what this might be. And you can talk about this, of, of how you kind of negotiate um, things that don't feel right for you. This is true, mm. yeah. Um, I am very patient. I was picking rose hips today. I mean... I don't see myself as patient. I'm saying it because people keep telling me that I'm really patient. And I think... I guess it's all in context, right? It's in context. Context, because you might get your patience from from the natural world and you that inspires you to, to potentially, you know, follow follow that guidance. But in context of us as modern day humans... It's true. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you stand out. It's, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was today. I was picking rose hips to make uh, a batch of rose hip ketchup for Medicine Fest, mm-hmm. and um, I was like saying to the rose hips, like, "Thank you so much. Like, I planted you 
uh, in in the middle of lockdown and now look like there's so many rose hips and there's so much medicine here so much vitamin c and that project's only just starting to give fruits like three three years later and I was really reflecting on the holding that I do as I was doing it I was kind of holding myself a little bit and going I know that the land is speaking to me and I I know that pe- my my work is to just reassure everyone that the land wants to provide but at her pace at her at her at her choice you know at at, at their choice and I'm just here responding to that that's all I'm doing I'm not uh, leading it I'm just being guided over time and the land is is giving and I'm able to see and receive and then I do my work and then she gives more and and actually how that translates to numbers on spreadsheets is really uh, it's not an easy task for me but it does translate to numbers on spreadsheets over time and I try and hold, you know, the knowledge and the conversation with the land as the most important piece of my work. And then I try and trust that the numbers and the spreadsheets will will work because I just I know that land is gives more than you expect when you you're in right relation. Right. Mm. Um, but the timeline is the land's timeline. It's not our timeline. Why is it important to communicate with the land? It's an interesting question because what I would, I would frame, I would, my brain wants to frame that differently. Um, The land is speaking. So why is it important to listen? Mm. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great question. (laughs) Do you want to answer it? (laughs) Um, Why? Well, why wouldn't you want to be in conversation with everything? Mm -hmm. Um, It's easier, actually, you're when you're guided then it's uh, life's easier because you're not responding from it's really beautiful when you realize how rich life can be when you learn to take away responding with fear responding to life or reacting to life because you're afraid or want to survive or want to appear like you know what you're doing or when you start to dissolve the ego what's left is wisdom and wisdom is connectivity, really. It's like, okay, this my life is greater than just my life. I'm part of something much more important. I'm part of a community. I'm part of a society. I'm part of a cosmology. I'm part of a history. And actually, what is now asking of me? What is my piece in all of this? Mm-hmm. And actually, it's a deeply restful place to be. It's much more peaceful. Yeah, beautiful. Well said. What gets in the way of that? Do you think for you? Or I was going to say others? myself. I th- <laughs> yeah, let's start with you. What gets in the way of that for you? Um, no, myself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. For me, as a something that I know that I um, battle with is. Um, this feeling that I th- that you know I've chosen to do something that is with nature that was um you know I make f- you know I'm food as medicine I help to hold the land and food here but I don't do it in a way that is a conventional farming 
land manager. So um, even, you know, on a daily basis, I get asked, what's the plan? Um, I get asked, you know, where are the results or the figures? Um, And also, you know, what's the final answer? And I'm like, I'm just filling in all the time. And I really increasingly want to learn to help people to feel in and to trust themselves, their intuitions, you know. Um, but I'm also a woman on land. And it's really important to name that very few women actually, w- you know, are farmers and I'm, or whatever you want to call me, wild tenders um, in this country. So I often will be sat in a predominantly male space. Mm. Um, and I'm not, comp- you know, I'm, I'm white passing, I'm mixed race. So I'm not in, you know, whilst I have an indigenous soul, am I, it's not actually of England as such. Or I did, you know, I feel, I feel like that's the, the, the re-getting to know of this landscape and the, the history of this place. You know, as you said, it's, it's passed down through many generations and I feel like I'm my piece is to do some of the healing work of of what separation has caused and to pass it down and through, but also to hold space for others that want to do that for themselves. Because essentially, you know, foraging, it's like waking up a DNA that's inside of all of us. It's not like I'm particularly magical for holding that knowledge. It's actually there. We, you know, if you sit with a plant and take some time there's a whole load of information that plant's given you there was a man um you know clearly a white man who coined the concept that plants tell you what they're good for but there are a million indigenous non-white women that knew that before him if you see what i mean Mm -hmm. so it's important to name that i'm in a minority on several levels and i think lack of confidence has gotten in the way Mm-hmm. lack of confidence of being in the space if I'm honest and I and I still hold I try and hold myself with love over that um and I and I also try and notice when the pain of that wants to turn to anger or defensiveness right to defend my way of being or defend who I am or you know and I, and for me and you know I have um a lot of respect for activists a lot and but for but for me personally I really need to sit in I love what I do I love uh, my life I love who I am I love you and let's just like cultivate loads of joy around this Mm -hmm. healing work and so I so so working on um, my own sense of insecurity I guess is what gets in my way sometimes Mm. or has done in the past yeah thanks Sharon it needs to be attractive also like whatever you're passionate about and standing for it needs to be attractive to others because if if i was to see you not having a good time and like being very defensive and like not open and not like willing to sit here and just have a conversation i'd be like okay well it would try to detach me from actually what it is you want to like promote and help um you know just pass around and it's like it needs to so it's it's like the artist's responsibility mm. the quote says the artist's responsibility is to make the revolution irresistible mm. so it's like we're attracted to those things that people really just they live 
and it's whatever we care about we have to make it attractive to and by that just singing the song from a place of love mm. uh, and that's going to attract others and it's going to allow us all to just feel safe around the topic mm. and the subject so yeah. it, so it's more yeah, engaging really yeah and i f i feel like um it's interesting for me, you know, I did some work around race with an amazing Buddhist teacher called Lama Rod. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm going to paraphrase this and, and I hope it's, I hope I do it respectfully enough, but there was a, he held a group for um, people who felt they were white and the people who felt that they weren't white. And I didn't know which group to go to. And I found myself caught in a bit of a kind of um, not sure who I belong to, not particularly being welcomed by either group. And um, and for myself, um, I I know that when I feel pain over not belonging, uh, when I feel pain over being separate from land um that it can cause reactivity that creates more pain mm -hmm. and so for me the work of being on the land is amazing it's incredible work but it's not the only work the work of healing my wounding of separation of difference um of being a woman in a predominantly male space that's also really important work because that's what allows me to be in a loving space on land, which helps me to, because it's not just me that's suffering, right? Like, even though um, minority groups suffer, actually those who ha whose ancestors have created that separation also suffer from, that dis from, from the separation and the disconnection. So we're all actually suffering from the pain that's been caused in the past. Mm -hmm. And... It's a collective healing that needs to happen in order to come back into co connection on b on every side and every angle. Yeah, I think the separation and the, the identifying as separate it's it's it has its place and mm. it's needed in certain certain aspects. But ultimately, if 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 it's separate and it's separating, mm. then you're kind of perpetuating that same idea that. You're really trying not to. There's a, there's a beautiful saying around that. That um, So when I was on this trip to the Amazon, mm -hmm. I was welcomed into uh, an Inga community in Colombia. And there was a saying that they had written on the wall in one of their community centres that stayed with me forever. And it's really come up actually around this separation, unity, um, and it was something like they who recognize uh, diversity. Um, oh, he, they who recognize their own individuality can celebrate diversity and therefore unity for all. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really beautiful because when we look at nature, Nature's not single, nature's many. Na mm -hmm. And an area that has not been heavily plowed or heavily chemicalized 
has an incredible biodiversity, right? So it's beautiful to recognize that a, a kind of a whole ecosystem is a diverse ecosystem. And there's, so therefore there is different difference mm -hmm. in that system. And we can be joyful about that. And essentially that's what cre can create unity is we go, hey, I'm Tasha, I'm, I have all these different things going on. You, you're Chris and you have all these different things going on. And that's how we can come together is mm -hmm. through that recognition and celebration. We don't need to be the same. Yeah, there is only difference, really, like in every human. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how just having a conversation with someone who's, yeah, I've had 100 conversations on this podcast and everyone has a unique flavor mm -hmm. of what it is they bring. And so sometimes I don't honor that enough in people, how unique really someone is and their, their own take and their own flavor. But yeah, if, <laughs> if we get on side about it on team it's we, we're we really like detached from the diversity of everyone mm. um but it's yeah it's a powerful point it's mm. really important and and what you touched on before i think it's it's inspiring to to hear like you doing i guess what i'd call the inner work around things because the inner work is a big piece because we've all been we've all been brought up in this modern world which is uh <laughs> carries a lot of it carries a lot of unmet needs as children and like even our values get meshed up in the cultural narratives of of, of corporation and stuff and and the workplace and, and and it's just a bit of a like the world has changed 50 years it's just n completely changed uh and there's so much going on even the disconnection from our emotions you know learning things at school and just the lack of emphasis on how to be a functioning healthy human <laughs> like that complete disconnection if, if if we are not if i am not doing the inner work in whatever aspect of my life then i'm not fully there you know because it's, it's always important just to introspect of like oh how have i been conditioned over time because our conditioning is is yeah it's a bit it's a bit mad <laughs> <laughs> it feeds into how we see the world and if yeah. we're not doing that inner work to really introspect to really check ourselves yeah. and what angle we're coming through but it's inspiring to, to hear you touch upon that because we can talk about the land and what's in this and that but for me like this podcast it's all about like how we're viewing ourselves in what we're you know communicating to others about when you were saying about um at school we don't get taught how to be a happy healthy whole human mm. i couldn't agree with you more and you know cause my daughter's at school she's 11 and you know i almost find myself slightly saying to her you know school's not everything um and actually your happiness is so important so if you're exhausted tonight and you can't do your homework i fully support you not to not to hand it in and you know i I think a lot of people in and out of the school system would agree that the school system has been put in place to regurgitate information and we're not really in a time anymore where that is, I would say, the most needed thing in from a school. I would say that support around personal development, happiness, health, mental health, community relationships are more important and that more emphasis will need to be put on those, particularly in the given 
current literal climate and I don't mean that metaphorically I mean that literally that that we have challenges on our back door happening now that we need to show up to and as a race of people we need to build community and support around that and we have so many young people experiencing so many mental health issues it's it's really frightening and how we build up a narrative around what it means to show up to our current challenges as a as a race but also as a global community isn't personally more of a priority from where I'm I'm standing than teaching a child uh, algebra um, and and I find it interesting because I would almost switch it around I'd say okay the the kind of the personal development and the relational and the emotional and the mental and the physical are more important and you know how to grow your own food and how to mend things and then actually all the kind of academic pieces could come a little bit later when pupils can choose what it is that they want to be right Mm -hmm. because no matter how great you are at maths if you're so depressed you're suicidal that's not a strong position to be in no so you know which one's more important yeah i think it's agreeing on what is important Mm. first and foremost if it's to have a strong sense of yourself, to be content and at peace with, you know, and have a, a loving family and a good social network, like that's really a priority for any human that wants to be healthy and wants to thrive. So it's like agreeing on those things first and then mm. what do we need to encourage and, yeah, have, like have those things as a youngster. I think knowing yourself and just what, I'd say what I break down is like happy, healthy human is someone who just knows themselves and is not trying to compromise on their their own their what health means to them for for their um, peers or like trying to compromise on things that are important to them Mm. through trying to get um, external gratification, yeah, gratification or reward, I guess, yeah, and praise and. And yeah. all sorts, but I think the world's going to change rapidly. It is changing. <laughs> that's what's that's what's nice yeah. about having conversations like this. Yeah, we can look back on this. You know, <laughs> I thought I thought that um, it would take a lot longer, if I'm honest. Mm. And definitely, you know, I was someone was asking me what my job was at a party or something, and I was saying, well, I grow mushrooms, I keep bees, I forage, I make medicines, I make food. Um, I plant lots of more more medicines and they were like whoa you have such a cool job Mm -hmm. that's so in they were like that's so hipster they said and I said and I just ended up going oh I was well into this before it was cool and I listened to myself I was like just shut up Tasha just stop talking (laughs) just just take it yeah really cool (laughs) you almost it's like part of you's just to making sure that they know You've been invested I've in been, this. And you're I'm not, in it for the long run. I'm not cool, by the way. <laughs> I was doing this. Wait, wait. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. So where does... Um, what is that? I forgot the name. Uh, Tinkle Bubble. Tinker's Bubble. Tinker's Bubble. Where does Tinker's Bubble fit in? So, as I said, I went to uni. I did the uni thing. But then afterwards, I was like, I'm not done. I'm not done on my journey. And... So I got invited after I came back from the Amazon and did some work. Um, I was sort of angling at a lot of my work being 
uh, in the in the kind of container of artist. So I had an exhibition as part of that um, trip, and then during that exhibition, I was invited to be part of a Boti community in Falmouth, which was amazing. Um, Ponchard and Boatyard, uh, and it was my first real uh, playtime of living in a group. Um, of people all living in old wooden boats on the sea um, and just living more communally, sharing a shower, living very simply. My rent was £25 a week. And I'd, I'd learnt, you know, I'd done things like dig peanuts and forage snails for the dinner and, you know, in the Amazon and grown corn and made pottery. And I, I wanted that. I just wanted that. So when I managed to lower my living costs, I was free to f to learn and dedicate myself to foraging. And I started growing vegetables and on the boat deck and uh, fishing. I used to do a lot of fishing and crabbing. And before I knew it, you know, something like 50, 60 percent of my food was coming from the landscape. And I met the man who was going to be the father of my daughter who was really crazy about foraging and taught me a lot of what I know. Um, he did, during the time that we were dating, have several ca a cardiac arrest from eating the most poisonous plant on the in the UK called hemlock. So we were meant, meant to go on a date, we meant to go camping, and he just didn't turn up one day. <laughs> and he'd had, I think, two cardiac arrests. Oh, wow. So I laugh now, but yeah. uh, I do owe my daughter's life to modern medicine. I'm only laughing because you're laughing. I'm, I'm just I'm laughing because he's <laughs> she's about to be dropped off by him, okay. and I'm telling our story. Um, we're not we we went yeah. on separate ways some years ago. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> so it's just a funny a funny story. Um, of you know that was very mm -hmm. emotional and uh, but also really really important really important to learn the poisonous plants and so when we teach vicariously for no, another <laughs> but when we teach foraging one of the things that a lot of foraging teachers don't do is say actually it's more important to learn the plants that will kill you yeah. than the ones that you can eat mm -hmm. and so building that up that conversation of deep respect of these plants that will you know just take you out um it's yeah they're powerful they're powerful beings there's only about five five to ten of them that will do that mm. but also things like foxglove if you take a very small amount it can be very good for your heart so there's also this kind of um, demystifying these plants and taking away the fear because actually it's it can be about dosage i guess i'm interested about your journey from there to coming here and what that transition was like i guess coming out of because you said a statement to me which is there i i or you had like um you were wealthy in a different sense but now you have more money but it, you know what's that mismatch could you talk a bit about that sure because now you have a job right yeah and it's a, a very different way of living yeah so so we went from i went from self-sufficiency at both tinker's bubble and then a piece of land that we were gifted to starting to meditate and having a spiritual realization that I, I needed to move out of my marriage. 
And I also meditated and I saw a bit of land and it wasn't my land at the time. And within about a year I was invited. It was nine months or so. I was invited to be here. So Seth, one of the founding members here, this project was started by a brother and sister called Seth and Mara. Seth had eaten at my festival cafe and bought some wild berry juice that I'd made. And so when I came for my interview and brought a box of things that I made, um, he knew, he knew them and essentially said to me, no, do what you know how to do, but here and bigger. And it's been a bo both painful and incredibly beautiful experience. Um, one of the aspects of what I have started to talk about, but isn't that easy for me to talk about, is the fact that when I took the job, I became so poor that I was going to the food bank for some time and subsequently as well gained quite a lot of weight because I was used to eating loads of really healthy food so I was used to working physically really hard and eating loads of like vegetables and duck eggs and honey from my bees and meat from my cow and cheese because I used to milk cows so I was used to eating all this incredibly healthy food that all of it was handmade and then suddenly it was like oh my gosh I'm a single parent and I've got no time and I'm struggling to afford rent and and I'm I I don't want to sugarcoat it I was crying every single night for about a year and it I was just following my spiritual calling I was just trusting at that time what did that feel like can you talk a bit about that what was that spiritual calling I felt like I knew the land and and I also felt like I knew Seth on a soul level I was like, you are like a brother to me, even though you're not my biological brother. And that's just how it felt. I can't, I can't really, you know, I, it was just a very core, a very deep core feeling. And the stuff that was on layered on top of that were, were the kind of like managers, the politics of this place. And I really struggled with all of that. Like I was like, what am I doing here? Like I spent at least the first two years really questioning what I was doing here. Um, I'd also been on quite a big journey around having my daughter with me and courts and things. And so as part of that, I'd said that this was a permanent job and I, so there was a million things pointing to just stay, just stay. And, and this real feeling that I'm meant to be sat at a crossroads. So on a soul level, I, when I'm just on land and isolated from modern society, I feel like, wow, we're doing beautiful things, but no one, I'm not teaching anyone. I'm not sharing it. I'm not part of the conversation. And actually my soul really wants to sit at the crossroads and say, over there is really beautiful and we can do that again. Like we can do that as a society. We can live in harmony with nature. We can l go on the journey of how we relate to one another and become more interconnected again. But what, you know, and what does that look like? And I feel like that's really what now is about for me. It's it's not about purism. It's about what does it look like to live in a way that is connected, spiritually alive to what's happening around us. 
and what does that mean? And that's really the question that I'm kind of exploring in a thousand different ways, whether that's now as part of the leadership core or, you know, making medicinal mushroom chai syrup or going and picking mushrooms at a neighbouring farm that I helped set up a few years ago. You know, there's a million ways that I express that. Um, and that's really where we're at now. And it's it's um, it's been weird living in a house again it's been very weird <laughs> because I'm sensitive to the noise of machines and it feels less real to me modern society feels unreal and you know a neighbor of mine sadly passed away in his sleep and no one knew for days and that's not the world that I want to grow old and die in you know um, and I, you know, so yes, I have a job, but m my job, you know, is okay. It's head of land and food, but the other piece of what I hold here is being on the vision call that Seth and Nara invited me to be part of. And our, the, the vision is harmony with nature, self and other. And so really what, you know, some aspects of what we're feeling into are outside of the realm of the capitalist system. And so really what it feels like we're feeling our way towards is how do we do this dance with capitalism whilst creating more and more opportunities for people to explore the meaning of our vision on site and off site. And that may in time mean, you know, more people living on the site and in, in the form of an eco community, providing opportunities for people to come and farm the site. Um, we invite people to come and be part of the retreats, um, but more kind of like pop-up things where people can come on and, you know, eat a beautiful fire meal and go for a swim in the lake or go for a walk. And we're also, you know, doing looking more and more about how we can do outreach work. But how we do that is really the question, um, is the question that we're trying to answer in a way, is like, what are the manifestations of the vision? And that includes, you know, taking, we've got a food trailer and we're foraging loads of food and making all this food as medicine. And we're going to feed, we're hoping to feed a thousand people at the event. And it, it just, it gets expressed in millions of different ways. Mm -hmm. But for me, for, for me personally, it's the action of the moment. So it's how am I speaking to someone? Am I showing them deep respect? Am I showing them the deepest love that I can show them am I listening um and one of the things that really came up has been coming up really strongly for me is as we become more and more aligned as an organization then actually the deeper the collective wisdom grows the more we can rest on the community of people holding the site to help guide us as well because the more we're collectively listening the more wisdom comes through but it's a real art, you know, it's I'm talking about a paradigm that isn't created yet, really. Mm. It's hard to see a structure or system. It's one conversation I've been battling with. How can I see something with when I'm inside something very different? You're trying to looking from the inside out at a system that I can't even tangibly mm. comprehend. But it feeds into what you're saying is it's almost like you've got a. He said, it's all an experiment, really. 
<laughs> and you know what doesn't serve you. Mm. And the rest is almost like we pray and we play and everything else you make up, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I love that. I love that you are talking about those moments because it's all a combination of little moments and the interactions that we have with the people that come here. They are so important. It's like the words on the website. It's, it's in those little connections because it's all made up of little moments within it. And I think they are... Yeah, the way you do one thing is the way you do everything because that thing instills in everything. So that is vital, I believe, to mm. to really take care of those little, the way you, you know, speak to the, the buckthorn or the way you hold someone when they come here or how it all kind of feeds into the, the narrative of, of the place. And, and, and for me as well, increasingly, it's feeding into how I hold a meeting. Mm. And how I how I what does leadership mean, you know what and and how do we create a culture that all of us have agency, and it's you know I'm sat with these questions daily, you know we we held a so I'm you know as part of my role I help to hold the kitchen, and we had a meeting today where you know um, I hope people don't mind me sharing this but where several people were in tears, you know. And uh, and at one point, one of the people said, I'm so sorry, I'm crying. I'm like, crime. Like, thank you for being honest. Thank you for sharing your soul and, like, bearing who you are in your pain. Like, that is welcome. That is welcome. Like, what would worry me? Yeah, not just welcome, but it's necessary. It's necessary. It's very important. And it's, you know, how do we evolve past this kind of stiff upper lip? Yeah. Um, uh, it's you know, a sign of strength is to be unemotional. Yeah. It's, that's, you know, that's not really, what is what is authentic is what is strength. And emotion is welcome when it's held with awareness that the emotion is yours and and that it's contained within, you know, it's my emotion. Yeah. You're not making me yeah. feel that way. I am feeling that way, possibly, uh, you know, which is coming, arising to circumstances. Yeah. But, how do we you know hold that space and i'm exploring that with our teams and and it's not easy and i don't always get it right i don't always get it right and it's and because of what is right but you know it's not it's not something that i've i've noticed that with some of the women that i've known in leadership it's very common to want to mimic very masculine behaviors because as a society we see many many more men in power or in leadership historically and yeah. in the present day it's an energy what we yeah. um, view as succeeding exactly so we need to we imitate our environment don't we we exactly. see someone in a position that is respectful gets respect and then we imitate that as like it's yeah. the right thing to do but it's a hyper masculine yeah. world and and i have done that myself so sometimes when i'm in 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 a leadership position and there's high pressure i'm like right do this like you know and i'm joking and i'm not really I'm not really cultivating presence and I have to continuously bring myself back to softening that and, and being alive to the moment and my own body. Mm. And it's a practice, you know, it's, it's not, um, it's not pot noodle. It's not instant. Pot noodles. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Now I want to talk about food. Uh, I want to talk about mushrooms because oh. hot topic, of course, but something very close to your work here. Yes. And something really powerful that's happening 
on the land, right? Yeah. And yeah, let's invite that into the conversation mm. just briefly. And what's happening here with, with mushrooms and inoculation and what we can do as the listeners of this, what can we take forward? Should I be eating mushrooms from a supermarket that have been grown in mm. likely plastic or synthetic environments? Mm. Like how much nutrition is really in that? When, when I buy a, a big wonky set of mushrooms from Aldi it's like mm. there's a big difference between those and some that you've just you know inoculated into a log sure. and, and bashed so what I would say is eat mushrooms even if they're from Aldi okay um if that's all you can afford they're still better than buying uh, a ready meal or or a pot noodle um what I would say is if you do eat the mushrooms from Aldi to pop them on the windowsill so that they can absorb vitamin D. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, because... Mm -hmm. In the sun, right? Yeah, in the sun. Because when mushrooms are grown in an indoor environment, they cut, they get no natural exposure to the sunlight, which means that when you eat them, they rob your body of vitamin D because mm. mushrooms are kind of still alive, actually, even when you eat them. Oh, wow. They're still um, kind of reacting. So... So just in general, like eat mushrooms. Um, mushrooms are, have so many incredible benefits, whether it's shiitake, which is amazing for regulating blood sugar. So they're really great for people with diabetes. Um, they're also really good for people that have got burnout or fatigue or low energy. Um, but we, we are growing mushrooms uh, on logs and in beds here. So we have an outdoor... I, I was going to say micro mushroom farm. It's getting less and less micro um, with the more people that come here to help me grow mushrooms. So thank you, all the people that come and help. Mm -hmm. And while it's working. Yeah, so we do working retreats here. Um, we're kind of just rounding up for the season now, but every year um, from about May to July time, we hold regular working retreats where we teach mushroom outdoor mushroom growing in logs. And we're using a very ancient method. It was first documented 2000 years ago in Asia. And it's very simple and yet very beautiful because it does require this level of patience that we were sort of touching on. Um, and you use a specific mushroom drill bit that we get from Japan and, and a specific inoculation tool. And you take a bag of mycelium which we source ours from uh, gourmet mushroom. I also work with a mycologist because the, the unique piece of work that we do is we cultivate our native strains and grow them outdoors. So some people um, do cultivate no native strains, but I haven't met anyone specifically targeting that at an outdoor growing setup. So that essentially what we're doing is almost creating like a living seed bank of mushrooms or mycelium seed bank so that we're really protecting what is native to our land as well as cultivating shiitake mm. and a few people have said to me why do you do that and I I did it because shiitake is a very known well-known mushroom but it's also the documentation for how to grow shiitake on logs is there the information is there Whereas if you look into beefsteak, fungi, yields, timings, spacings, how you treat the log, what the gestation period is, there's nothing really known about it. So we're growing um, native beefsteak fungi. We're growing native white reishi. We're growing um, native turkey tail, 
And the one that I'm really proud of is our birch polypore mushroom. So that was found in an ancient sliver of Selwood Forest that we have on the land. An ancient sliver. So sliver. like a little piece of sliver. ancient Selwood Forest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we cultivated um, that mushroom that was found in that forest mm -hmm. in a lab. It takes about six months. And then we came back, brought it on site and injected it two years ago into our own logs. So all of the logs that we're mm -hmm. producing mushrooms on are harvested from our land. And the coppicing technique that we use can mean that the tree lives up to three times longer. So it's again challenging this narrative mm -hmm. for me around not interacting with nature as a way to preserve nature. Yeah. And actually in my experience it's all about right relations. So as long as you're aware that of how to cut the tree which our amazing forester here Martin does for me um, then actually it can help the tree live longer so it's a very interesting process in terms of that but also then once the log has fruited which it will fruit for between three and seven years depending on the density of the wood it becomes compost again so it just goes back to the earth so the the legacy of the farming methodology is indistinguishable from the legacy of nature. And that's really, you know, that piece of work as well around what are we leaving behind, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So birch polypore and you're, from what you know of, could be the first and the only people in the world to farm it in this way. Outdoors. Exactly. Outdoors. Yes. Yeah. We've just got, uh, we've got about a hundred fruiting logs yeah. at the moment that, so we estimate, um, that we'll yeah we'll have we'll have a f several hundred birch polypores this year, and um, and we've just inoculated with the help of primal gathering, um, just inoculated another two three hundred logs. So and what we do because I'm very interested in food as medicine. So rather than preventative medicine, which is very well covered by the herbalist groups and and the medical establishment, I'm interested in how do we take small amounts of medicinal foods all of the time as part of our daily practice of eating um, and how do we stretch our palates to really l learn and appreciate what is medicinal for us and then our bodies start to crave those medicines and so what we do at 42 is we um, decoct the birch polypore overnight and then concentrate it down really so it's really intense and then whip it into honey oh wow yeah and that's what we sell um, in little jars and then you can take like half a teaspoon and put it in hot water when you're mm. feeling run down and the the mushroom is antiviral antibacterial antimicrobial antifungal antiparasitic so it's got a huge range of medicinal properties um, I used it to treat my long covid which you know after a few months of treatment really did help yeah and this was found in the, the in the, the pocket I think of a of a hiker or a traveller who was, what, 5,300 years ago? Yes. What was his name? Ertzi. Ertzi. Yeah. This guy was found. You haven't heard this story. It's incredible. But they found that and hook mushroom, I think. Uh, I think it was it called... It was tinder fungi. Was it tinder fungi? Mm. What it was called? Um, it's the... It's the... Armadou. It's like that... that The one that grows quite... Underneath, you can see, like, the spores... Mm -hmm. I don't know, but there was two kinds of mushrooms mm. found on this 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 guy who was frozen in ice, mm. and it's remarkable to to know that we would have had that relationship to to know that this is a very powerful and potent 
mushroom. The other one, which was the birch polypore, but the other one apparently it was like used to for resin or, or like you'd light it and you could carry fires with it. Yeah, so it's, I call it tinder fungi. Tinder, but, yeah. But, peop- but I think it's got cramp bar- cramp ball name as well. It's like a black fungi mm-hmm. and it was also used Just, by Romanies oh, for transporting that. fire yeah. in pouches. What I loved about his story is that he'd actually carved the birch polypore into beads. So not only was he using them medicinally to treat a parasite, but he also was using them ornamentally for decoration yeah. for his body. Maybe praying for them. So it was praying amazing. With them. And I and I think for me, um, as someone who's kind of cultivated this knowledge with their life, I think it's always interesting when people refer to what I'm into as the simple life. Because the amount of complex knowledge that people had, um, you know, thousands of years ago sort of yeah. blows your mind. You you know, they couldn't go up on on Google and just look up, you know, what remedy do I have for common cold? I imagine it was quite the opposite. And these people who, you know, lived the simple life, what we would consider mm. would be, you know, celebrated and, and <laughs> you know, they were the kind of people of the of the land that were actually mm. full of knowledge and living a complex life because mm. they had so much knowledge mm. and dedicated to dedicated amounts of time and all the gathering and the kind of planning ahead mm-hmm. yeah it's an amazing story that one i love it too it is, it's just a insight into like just rewriting our, our own conditioning of what we think was even possible back then or mm. how humans have i guess what's transitioned over time where we've not placed as much value on things and now it's it seems seemingly coming back into our psyches. It's like, okay, maybe we thought we knew and we're just questioning a lot more like what we did now, what and we've bought into perhaps. I feel like also what comes up is we want more as a as a race. Well, there's and and it's and now it's not more materially. Mm-hmm. And you know we some of our really big institutions are under so much pressure that they're kind of wobbling and crumbling, whether it's the teacher striking or whether it's the NHS doctor striking, you know. And what I'm finding is someone who holds herbal knowledge and medicinal knowledge, um, I feel like more and more people are going, well, what can I do myself? How can I empower myself? And it's really nice to be someone who's been cultivating this knowledge as, as this tipping point arrives and to be able to share things and then build on my knowledge collectively with other knowledge holders because we all have very different lenses and you know there's things that I've gotten really interested in but there's a thousand other like more than a thousand other medicines out there whether it's you know because I, I do some beekeeping but I wouldn't say I'm a bee whisperer as such you know there's people that um, there's can, you know, there's people that can yeah. really connect with that. Yeah, world. have a really intimate relationship yeah. with that world. Yeah, and 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 I do connect, and actually, I can. I have I've collected swarms, and like we actually collected a a swarm from the chimney when one of our buildings was being rebuilt, and we'll harvest honey for the first time. So we do we we provide a home for wild honeybees, um, and only harvest honey in the spring when they've had the honey for the winter you know but there's so many different ways to so many different not types of knowledge to cultivate mm-hmm. absolutely and it's very exciting times it's exciting and you have that exciting energy about you and i think that's what draws me to you and other people i know because there's a 
there's a lot going on. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of reasons to be feeling um, not inspired. Mm. There's a lot of those reasons if you look for them. But, mm. but with times of crisis, there's a lot of opportunity. Mm. A lot of opportunity to double down on the things that mm. you know we know uh, is is yeah is calling us to action. Perhaps mm. good way to end it. Um, thank you for spreading your wisdom, speaking your truth. What do you see in terms of the future? What hold maybe for this type of living, or like what what does the future hold? Do you think, or is there anything you want to speak to that that yeah is a question or a a calling to action perhaps for people if are if they're not feeling satisfied or, or content mm. with um, the the way in which they're living at the moment? What are simple things that people can? I think like doing doing things is really healing so when we feel disempowered doing really simple things like collecting nettles and drying them on your windowsill to make nettle tea can be so much more powerful than we realize and this summer I've done loads of physical work and I have to say that I've noticed what I feel like was my energy levels rising I notice that when I'm sad I feel energyless which makes it harder for me to to do things and actually sometimes you have to kind of like go to a higher place with it and go okay you know this is emotional drainage and just kind of getting out into nature going for a walk um, spending some time on your own and allowing the silence you know we can get very uncomfortable with silence as modern people because we're blasted with media switching off the phone right it's a challenge and it's been a challenge for me I'm not immune to that but allowing that time and space to listen to yourself and what's going on around you and just trusting sometimes that not perhaps going with that cathartic um, that kind of tired I was gonna say cathartic is not the right word mm -hmm. um, lethargic that mm -hmm. was the word lethargic feeling don't listen don't necessarily listen to it and if you just take your shoes your shoes and socks off in a woodland and just walk for 10-15 minutes and then see how you feel mm -hmm. um, just allow that connection to happen and see what it does to your heart and go from there yeah beautiful I think it, that is for me getting out of my own way mm. that's what that would encapsulate mm. moving out of what I think I am making space for what I'm a part of mm. and letting that to communicate yeah in a way I one of the things that I've learned here as well, and I think it's good to say, having been part of uh, the activists, because I was very much involved with the Land Workers Alliance and the activist movement around Tinker's Bubble and anarchy and all of these concepts. And uh, for a long time, I was really like, yeah, change. Rich people mm. are bad. And, you know, we need to um, have massive land reform. And actually, I still hold that very close to my heart. I still feel like there's a lot... Um, a lot that can be done that isn't being done and what I would also say is you know we need to hold these conversations because actually all of us are in the situation of feeling like victims of climate change or feeling like victims of separation and it's only through conversation and connection that we can find our way and that is with all types of people wealthy poor um from all walks of life all different countries you know I think I've really learnt that um, we all, we're all faced with the same challenge of what's happening to our planet. Mm -hmm. That's not discriminating 
Um, it's not, you know, rich people may be able to fly to the moon, but what, you know, what is there for on the on the moon for them? You know, we we all have the task of mm. of this healing journey, and so showing up to the conversation from a loving place of coming back into connection with one another, I think is um, is a more kind of wholesome, joyful place to start from. And if we start from that place, then I'm hopeful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we have to let things die, don't we? Old stories or narratives. Or Zach Bush talks a lot about what are we making space for and why do we pretend that this period of time isn't going to produce something incredibly wonderful in, when it when it does die, mm. you know. And who are we to say that what that is or isn't? Mm. It's 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 amazing framework to 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 step into a bit more of a openness and and just yeah, just falling into what's possible yeah. perhaps rather than trying to hold on to what was or trying to make something right that was wrong. Mm. starting from the place of potential and possibility and openness and mm. seeing what comes beautiful how can people find you do you show up online or anything do they come here do yeah. they just yeah yeah so I'm, with te you? I'm teaching medicine making winter medicine making this yep. winter um we're also exploring the possibility of doing a 42 acres in a landscape weekend um but i I am on Instagram. I'm under Land Food Medicine. I don't post that much, um, but I do post sometimes. And yeah, I'm I'm around. I'm here at Forty Two Acres, and I'm. We're also hosting. We do energy exchanges and working retreats. So, depending on whether you want to come stay, um, there's rooms here that we hold retreats on. I've just been on retreat with Satish Kumar, which was amazing. Um, and then there's you know coming on energy exchanges if you're more strapped mm -hmm. for cash or or want to learn skills and take them away Thank you people for listening all the way to the finish line. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Best Way and Zero Cost Way to support the channel. In addition, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify and leave up to a five-star review. This helps the podcast tremendously. If you have any questions or comments, please, or people you would love me to get in contact with and get on the podcast, then please head over to my YouTube channel and say so in the comments. Please check out our sponsors. I mentioned at the beginning, Wild Soul Sandals and XL Coffee for discounts. Links in the description. You can also get involved by donating from as little as £6 a month over at my Patreon. If you do so, you'll be invited on monthly calls, dive into some topics covered in the month's episode. If you want to share any episodes, please do so on Instagram and tag me, thechris.geisler, in your stories so I can repost. That is all. Thank you for your time, your interest in questioning all things life.